Rachel Krieger. And I'm Philip Simon. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Orthodox, which means that I keep most religious festivals for two days. And I'm Reform, which means that I usually find I can knock them off in one. This is Jew Talking To Me, the chat show that recreates the sensation of finding yourself on the miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bat mitzvah. It won't be long before the celebrity guests are wishing they'd been more demanding with their rider. Each week we'll bring you two of our favourite Jews to chat about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. On a Saturday night, are they Havdalah or Hafalaga? Welcome to Jew Talking To Me. Well, it's great to be back for series two. Thanks so much to everyone who subscribed to the podcast and left us a five-star review. Obviously, we had to take a break for High Holy Days. So, Rachel, how were they for you? Well, of course, they're very different this year because of COVID and all of the social restrictions. So I actually decided to stay at home and pray there. And because I live directly opposite our synagogue, it worked perfectly. They had their windows open, so I did the same in my bedroom. And it was almost like being in the service, except I felt like one of those women who go to Asda at midnight in their pyjamas and slippers. And after that, we built our sukkah in the garden, which I hope to mean we could eventually have some socially distanced visitors. For anyone who's not seen a sukkah before, it's basically a temporary dwelling that we put up in our gardens for the week of Sukkot and you're supposed to eat meals in it. Uh, just one of the many traditions from a desert region that doesn't always translate so well in colder climates. Also, my parents' Sukkah is more of a cubicle, so even without the rule of six, it was a one-out-one-in policy. <laughs> well, other than that, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you since our last episode? Um, mainly through the podcast, to be fair, because we know people have been enjoying the show and that's lovely. We're getting some really nice feedback. But actually, recently I've actually had people coming up to me in the street recognizing me when I've been out and about not just for comedy and things like that but also for the podcast I took my son for a baby chino at the Orchard Tea Rooms in Shenley last week and a number of people there were talking to me about the show saying how much they loved it how it's part of their morning commute that's lovely I was really touched by that and then you and I met the other day to do some writing for the show and we bumped into some very good friends of yours and when it came to introducing me it was very clear they'd never even heard of you talking to me. <laughs> and I was put right back in my place. Yeah, sorry about that. How about you, Rachel? How Jewish has your week been? Well, kind of along the same lines, really. Because like when I go to Jewish areas, people do often come up and speak to me. And my kids always tease me about it. If I come home from shopping somewhere like Golders Green, they'll say, how many times did you have a, are you Rachel Krieger moment like that? <laughs> I imagine it's very different for real massive celebrities because other Jews doing this to me always assume that we'll have a family connection or we'll have some friends in common and they'll build everything into a whole conversation around that. So earlier this week, I was out with my husband and this man came up and said, you're Rachel Krieger, which was very helpful. Mm -hmm. And he told me he loved my comedy. He'd seen me perform several times. I said, thank you very much. And then he went like full Jewish geography on me. And he said, oh, I think you might have heard of my friend Shelley. She likes you. She's on Facebook, maybe a Facebook friend. She lives in Edgware. And my cousin David Cohen is such a big fan of yours. Do you know him? Have you ever... And I joked to my husband, I bet Madonna doesn't have this when people see her out in public. I know, I bet she does, since she took up Kabbalah. <laughs> actually, this show isn't all about our brushes with fame. Um, oh, actually, it is, because it's time to bring on our guests. Our first is an accomplished American actress, singer and director. She's appeared on numerous television shows, including Murder, She Wrote, Nip Tuck and Beverly Hills 90210, but is most famous for her role as Doris Schwartz in 80s TV phenomenon fame. It's Valerie Landsberg. Hello, Valerie. 
Valerie, how are you? I'm great. Valerie, what kind of Jew are you? I'm an RJB. You know, I'm a renewal Jewish Buddhist. I grew up in the conservative synagogue and it was in the early 60s. And that's when uh, girls did not get bar mitzvah and all the services were in Hebrew. So I was one of the people sitting just going, why, why am I here? What's happening? What's happening? So I would say I, I identify as culturally Jewish. And Valerie, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? Well, I think it's probably just shared. So my mom passed last year and her birthday and my birthday are very close together. I was really sad on the day of her birthday. And then the next day I went to the post office and my mother was a Hello Kitty freak. And then I saw the Hello Kitty card and I brought it home and I have kind of a shrine that has all kinds of stuff of hers on it. And I stuck the card right next to her picture. When I looked at the card next to the picture, I thought, Oh my God, it's her. Since the card has been there, it just fills me with a lot of joy every time I look at the shrine. Oh, that's really beautiful. That's really lovely. Thank you. It seems callous thing to do, but we're going to move straight on and bring on our next. Oh, right to the next thing. Next <laughs> that was a beautiful thing, but let's move on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> our next guest is often found sharing his views on films, shows, and celebrities on TV and radio. He's a co-host of the Pilot TV podcast. He's probably best known as the entity entertainment director for Heat magazine, it's Boyd Hilton. Thank you very much. Uh, Boyd, I'm going to ask you the same question that we asked Valerie, which is what kind of Jew are you? I am probably rather similar, actually. I'm a fully lapsed cultural ethnic Jew and militant atheist who doesn't believe a word of, of the actual religious part of it. But I'm very proud of my Jewish roots. My family is very Jewish in terms of, you know, culturally. My mum has actually become a Buddhist, I should mention that, but she she's very Jewish in her... Um, in, in, in just being in a Jewish mumness. Uh, I went to Jewish school, primary school. I'm immersed in Jewish culture. I love Jewish culture, comedy particularly, but I don't believe a word of that Old Testament. I mean, it is absolute nonsense. No offense. Are you saying no offense to me? To anyone, anyone listening who does believe in it. But yeah, partly to you. <laughs> What's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? I spoke to my mum last night and first of all, she told me that I had to remember to eat. She said, I hope you don't forget to eat, which I think is a very Jewish mum thing to say. And she's also, she's the kind of Jewish mum who will, she'll comment if I've put on weight. So the few times that I've met up with her, you know, in this period, um, she, she, I mean, she hasn't said I've put on weight, but she has done in the past. And yet last night she was reminding me that I had to eat and she was also reminding me that the virus is still out there which i thought was very good that she was kind of warning me against doing anything that would get the virus get the coronavirus so i think just generally that conversation i felt was in, steeped in, in jewishness she also is technically a disaster so i me and my brother bought her a tv for christmas she hasn't really been using it properly she's had trouble accessing channels and channels go and i and i just discovered very recently that all she had to do on the remote control was press the home button and this changed her life and the tv started working so the, for all those various reasons my my, the Jewish main Jewishness of my week has been revolving around speaking to my mum. I'm just going to channel my Jewish mother and say it's not me and my brother; it's my brother and I. However, <laughs> you're absolutely right. You're abs <laughs> I, I, do you and know I'm only, furious with myself for getting know, that wrong? Only because I know she'll do it. Yeah. That, that will be her feedback. So that she feeds back to this show every week, and it's usually about my posture. It will definitely feature grammar at some point. <laughs> I love the idea that you've changed her life by showing her one button on the remote control. Yeah, the home button. A few weeks ago, my husband changed my life because we had like recycling to take out to the bin, and there was quite a lot of it. And he brought the bin to the recycling. I'd have made eleven journeys back to the forest, and he brought the bin in. My 
and blown. I used to live in a flat in Barnet. And when I left the flat and moved into my house with my wife in Boreham Wood, I brought with me the recycling bag that is council property, I guess, so that you don't have to go up and down the stairs in a flat. And we have that in our house now. So that gets filled with recycling. Then that goes out. It's much quicker. But you're a criminal. It's a victimless crime. Yeah, worth it. Worth it. <laughs> my council tax is going up because of people like you. I'll give you the 75p the bag is worth. I'm, I'm really sorry if I've upset anyone with, with that story. These are... These are crazy times. These are crazy times. <laughs> I just like off the Old Testament. I'm doing better than you. I know. I, I think if anyone's going to face any kind of punishment, it's got to be someone who slagged off an entire Bible that people yeah. live their lives by from <laughs> someone who nabbed a bag. So. Yeah. That All I can tell you is, I've just sent an email and a bolt of lightning is heading to Boyd Hilton's house <laughs> right now. Thanks. Now, we know that we are living in challenging times at the moment, so we always like to check in with our guests and ask, what's the matter, Bubbler? So, Boyd, what's going on with you at the moment? I mean, I'm fine, really. I'm working from home, and, and I've got used to that. I'm, I'm rather enjoying it, actually. I am a um, Twitter addict, I have to say, and right now, I mean, it is a cesspit, but it does kind of drive me angry and gets me furious. And at the moment, I'm obsessed with various levels of anti-Semitism on Twitter, also in real life. Like, I'm obsessed with the QAnon conspiracy theorists. I don't know if you know about this. is a huge phenomenon where people believe basically that the Jews and Hollywood elite and George Soros and people are basically taking over the world, trafficking children, abusing them, taking their blood or something. And the person that's going to sort this out is Donald Trump. So the QAnon conspiracy that is becoming very mainstream in America, I mean, Valerie might know about this more than me, you know, actual Republican politicians are backing this movement of, of ultra-sick uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theorists. And I got into a whole wormhole on Twitter and the internet of looking into that, reporting various QAnon supporters on Twitter, trying to get them banned from it. And then don't get me started on the anti-Semitism of certain elements of the left in the post-Corbyn world. That's, I'll leave that there because that can that would take up like three hours of podcast. It's very difficult with Twitter because now you have the whole thing of a pile-on that the minute someone says something that anyone's a bit unhappy with, a whole lot of people create new accounts so they can jump on it. And that QAnon I've seen everywhere on big pylons the last week or so. It's Yeah, yeah. And I think no matter how hard they try to, you know, keep these things, I mean, they have, Facebook have started banning various QAnon sites, hundreds of thousands, but it, I think it is partly the reason why these conspiracy theories are spreading so much right now is yeah. because of the internet because of twitter and social media it does enable it enables this insanity and it is mm. i'm not sure if it, if it can be stopped really so yeah that's my depressing thought for the week it is what it is that's the world we're living in as donald trump said it is what it is you're now quoting donald trump rachel i'm not sure if you intended to but you are i definitely didn't i was probably <laughs> quoting rabbi hillel <laughs> i'm sure he was quoting rabbi hillel yeah uh, valerie maybe you've got some thoughts on the election you, you don't have to get involved Involved right now in American politics, but I'm going to ask you the same question of what's the matter, Bubala? Well, you know, if you've been living in the United States every day, you could not write this. If you in Hollywood, if you wrote it, they'd go, it's a little meet cute. You know, I think that's not going to really happen. It's so unbelievable at this point. And the QAnon, you know, at least when people were doing the whole thing about people in the government being lizards and the Illuminati, at least that had some teeth to it. You know, what's bothering me is, first off, pandemic, um, what's it called? No, not, not believers when we say um, deniers, COVID deniers, and also people making masks a political statement versus a biological imperative. When I started to look at the QAnon and, you know, 
obviously we're picking this up from the last election in 2016. It has nothing. It's made of nothing. You know, the United States is young relative to other countries. It's young. And it was only going to be a matter of time before we had a crazy dictator because most all places get crazy dictators eventually. And this has been our time. This entire presidency and administration woke this country up in a big, big way on every level. Me too. Environment, preparedness, you know, for this kind of event, economically, everything. Black Lives Matter. You know, this surged this through the roof and we needed it. We needed somebody who keeps just slap, slapping us in the face. So I think it's a juicy time. Do you think it's going to change anytime soon? You know, the thing that I, I think about Joe Biden is in initially we kind of thought, really, Joe Biden? But I think he's the right guy. He knows how this all works and he's smart enough to surround himself with great people. Like, I don't know if any of you saw the Democratic convention, but all of the people who ran against him, like you look at, you go, great. That's the administration right there. That's all those incredibly smart team players. And the other thing about Joe Biden is so great as a president is very little ego. I start making calls to clean up the, the files on the Democratic voters in the U.S. You just want to start to get all that cleaned up. But you got to do something because it's too crazy. You got to take some sort of action, especially if you're a Jew, because that's what we do. We do. We take action. I try to explain some of what was going on to some extent with Trump to my five-year-old son because we were watching Home Alone and then he loved that so we watched Home Alone 2 and there's a moment in Home Alone 2 where Donald Trump appears just as a ca in a cameo yeah. I was pointing out the fact that recently on Wikipedia someone had changed the entry under Home Alone 2 to read something like Donald Trump was its first cast member to be impeached <laughs> I was trying to explain how that was a very lovely moment of protest and my five-year-old son didn't get it he wanted to wait until all the, the mayhem started it's seeping into every part of our lives and I, I think there are comedy moments to come from it but I think as Jews, we're, we're looking on and we're worried about elements of it. But there's hope. Yeah, I think he's going to get re-elected though. So, Do you? Yeah. I've thought since as soon as he got elected, he's going to he's going to get another term as well. And I worry about the postal votes and I worry about the suppression, you know, voter suppression, all of that. I think by hook or by crook, he's, he's going to get in again. Yeah. So that's my depressing punchline to the Trump situation. I hope we're all wrong. But at the same time, if it does happen, it may be where we see finally in this country the closest thing to a revolution. Maybe Trump would have turned out a bit differently if he'd had a good meal. I loved hearing about how Boyd's mum says, don't forget to eat. I've never forgotten to eat in my whole life. That's because I'm a Jewish mother and have you eaten yet is what's always on my mind. But what about our earlier Jewish food memories? Do you recall a particular meal or a significant moment connected to Jewish food? Or is there something you love to eat? Valerie, what about you? Jews are never hungry, but they can always use a little something. <laughs> it's just, it's that constant thing. And then there's Passover with my cousin, Michael, who's a comedy writer, and it's very funny. And like the first time we were, I was sitting next to him at Passover and they put down gefilte fish with like the little consomme gel on top. And he just picked it up and handed it back to the person and went, take this to pathology. <laughs> but my two favorite things are kind of another grandmother in my midst, Lee Barab's chopped liver. Oh my God. Oh my God. So good. And my grandmother's eggplant, that eggplant, you know, where they put it on top of the, like not bake it, but like actually burn it on the outside and then baba ganoush. Kind of like baba, mm. but it wasn't as garlicky and it was so good. And that's, you know, my grandma Fanny. I love the, the way that you had like quite an emotional response to chopped liver. Oh, so good. You know, when I go to France and I have pate, and I'm always going, pate, chopped liver, pate, chopped liver. Pate is chopped liver light. They don't know. 
Boys, how about you? Well, I've got like a, a kind of for and against. I've got a good Jewish food thing and a bad Jewish food thing. The bad one is um, when I was at Ilford Jewish Primary School, where I believe you were there as well, Rachel. Um, I was. They used to give us, do you remember Vienna's? They used to give us Vienna's sometimes yeah. for lunch. And Vienna's are these like bright, angry red sausages which which look like the most disgusting thing ever invented they are i believe they're made from like the innards of the of the cow like a kind of you know the, the stomach of the cow sorry if anyone is put off by this they were disgusting like rubbery violent bright red monstrosities and i could not eat them they were so disgusting and and i have to say the the, the, the regime at that school um insisted on everyone eating this this horrendous food that was put in front of us and the only way i could get out of eating these things was to complain to my parents and say i can't eat them i, I did go vegetarian because of these viennas at ilford jewish primary school and i stayed vegetarian pretty much i mean i did eat fish but I stayed vegetarian pretty much until my 30s, late 30s. And then I, I ended up in hospital, which is a long story, in Venice. And they fed me some burgers because I had to, because there was no other food and I had to eat because I was starving. Ilford Jewish Primary School's Vienna drove me to vegetarianism, is, is my first Jewish food memory. <laughs> and on the plus side, I did love Grzydzki's Deli in Gantz Hill, which is still where, where I went, you know, where I lived when I was growing up. And my mum still lives there. They're lutkas, potato lutkas, which mm. are these, like, you know, little kind of shredded potato, I guess an onion fried together upward delicious and i still love a good luck to this day and i'm seeking out good luck because it's a little bit of hobby of mine sweet potato oh i did i've never had that wow, wow. boys i'm an excellent luckers hanukkah time come round. Right. i will luck you up i will I am totally with you on the Vienna horror. Yeah, I, I love a Vienna. I just can't, I can't stand them. I don't understand why they're considered food and why we eat them. To me, right. it's a bit like, I love shawarma, but I would never go for a kebab. And I think there are certain Jewish foods uh -huh. that are probably disgusting, but because they're Jewish, we eat them. I think Vienna is one of them because you could just have a sausage. Have a, but have I love a sausage, both. But it's still kind of the same thing. It's still stuff that you don't really yeah. want to know where it came from, shoved into a, the skin or whatever. It is Vienna's exactly the same. I, I'm with you on that 100%. Our yeah. school did have like this weird thing about you had to finish your food, and it was quite oppressive regime. It was uh, over Wait, the meal time. It was the fascist regime. Let's not mince words. Let's not mince words. I mean, mince words is probably what we had on Tuesday for lunch. The thing I couldn't eat was blancmange, and they quite often oh, yeah. had that for dessert, and it was just so bouncy. And I just, it wasn't a food. I just couldn't eat it. And it's like a kind of, how would you describe it? It's I like wouldn't. a, I guess it's like a panna cotta, yeah, but, but fluorescent. Yeah. And you could whack your spoon on it and it would bounce off again. I think it's a children's panna cotta, if that. I, but I guess to have that the same day you have Vienna's, two food colours that... There was that a lot was, of food colouring. That was my know. life between the ages of five and, you know, 10, 11, you know. Blancmange and Vienna's. They were very strict about it. And also you had milk every day. There was milk in the classrooms that everyone had to drink. And one of the teachers, uh, she would always force us to drink this milk. And it was always horrendous. And there'd be big fusses about it was about five of us ended up staying in in break time recess translating because we wouldn't drink the milk and there was one occasion where it was a, a winter's morning the milk had come in in this crate there were like these little bottles that still make me feel sick when i see them and they've been sitting on the windowsill above the radiator in our class all morning and everything about it like the smell the idea i'm it turns out quite lactose intolerant and i just refused to drink it it was like a standoff like in a country and western film and uh they're called country and western they're just Western. Well, <laughs> yeah. anyway, it's a standoff in a cowboy. Country film. Western music and Western. You all knew what I meant. And uh, standoff between me and this teacher, it went on, I'm not exaggerating, for hours. It 
one almost until lunchtime and eventually I kind of sobbing forced it down and then I threw up immediately and this is just a little example of what the school was like I was then sent to fetch the uh, caretaker the janitor to bring him to where I'd been sick in our classroom and apologise to him in front of all my classmates for making a fuss just to be fair to Ilford Jewish Primary School other oppressive regimes are <laughs> yeah. available I um, mean they did they did also drive me to atheism so you know you that'll give you an idea of the kind of thing we're talking about it sounds like you have a massive broigus with your school. And we know that every Jewish family loves a good argument, a good broigus, especially over minor issues, like whether it's bagel or bagel. And I'm going to fall out with Rachel soon because she wrote that in the script. And I don't think it is a minor issue. But we want to know whether you have a favourite feud that you want to share with us. It could be in your family. It could just be one that you know of. Valerie. So my favourite feud is in like, must have been like the second or third year of fame. Erica and I, both Erica, who played Coco. We'd been on the show for three years. We kind of wanted to have like some of us say in things that we were doing in certain big numbers. And we got in this huge fight with Debbie Allen. <laughs> if you go on YouTube and you look up, I think it's called, this is, I think this is America is the name of the song. It's like a kind of our country tis a V type number. What you will see is... <laughs> see me and Erica and I am in an astronaut's outfit that is made out of trash bags. I am swimming in this thing which is like trash bags up to my neck and giant boots and Erica is in a frogman suit. <laughs> so this was the outfit that Debbie put us in because of the fight. So this was <laughs> punishment. It's on YouTube and every time I see it it makes me laugh. Jean starts it in like this beautiful soldiers blues and you know like this and he just looks so gorgeous and then there's us that does sound like something worth having broigs about have you spoken to debbie about this at we, all we laugh about it all the time we, like if all of us get together that story always comes up that's amazing <laughs> we were like hotspot girls you know so it was this punishment for taking a stand that's right it was punishment for taking a stand <laughs> how about you boy have you ever been made to dress in something you really weren't comfortable wearing <laughs> i'm sure i have but I can't, I can't think of one right now. Um, I've got two feud stories. One is a family thing. One's not a Jewish thing, it's a professional thing that I'm very proud of. So my family one is a classic Jewish family feud where just my late father who died a couple of years ago didn't speak to his brother, uh, my uncle, for, for decades, absolute decades. And they lived, like when I was growing up, you know, our family and, and uh, my uncle's family lived like about two miles apart in, mm -hmm. in you know, in, in Ilford in Essex. And we, didn't, we never saw them. And of course, in classic feud style, I never got to the bottom of why. I meant to ask my mum what her verdict was and why they fell out and why they never spoke right up until he died, really. But I never got to the bottom of it. It was just one of, and, and I think the last time I did ask my dad, he couldn't remember. <laughs> he couldn't remember what they fell out about. So that's the personal one. The professional feud is that I was responsible for a huge proper celebrity feud between Elton John and George Michael. So this isn't wow. a Jewish thing at all. It's just a professional story. But um, I interviewed Elton John in the early 2000s in his apartment in Georgia and Atlanta. It was a long, huge, big um, Scooby exclusive interview. And in the middle of it, I just asked him about his friendship with George Michaels, because he was quite famous for being friends with him. And he said, oh, they don't really talk that much anymore. And he basically said that George Michael, at that point, was spending all, all his time smoking weed, was too scared to go to do live tours, wasn't producing any interesting music. He just launched this kind of tirade about George Michael. And of course, you know, I was like, oh, this is an amazing copy. So I put it in my interview. Then George Michael faxed our magazine Heat when he saw it. Faxed us, that's how long ago it was. 
with a long statement saying, you know, what Elton doesn't know anything about me and my life. It was a kind of calm renunciation, denunciation of Elton having a go at him. And it became a global news story, but it was everywhere, you know, it was on the front page of one of the tabloids here. It became a massive story. And they didn't really, I think they kind of made up a little bit before George Michael died. But Elton John talks about it in his recent um, book, in his autobiography, um, and mentions that it all came from an interview in Heat. So I kind of never know whether to be proud or slightly ashamed of that. But I mean, he said it, I didn't goad him on, you know, I just put it in the piece. Years later, I met him again. Yeah, another event and he gave me a big hug and he said you were the one who got me in trouble with George Michael but it was my fault it wasn't your fault it was my fault so yeah that's my Bruegger's professional Bruegger's story it's great and it's kind of a Jewish Bruegger story because George Michael was Jewish no it's a good point I should have thought of that yeah Greek Orthodox Jewish <laughs> Boyd, you and I went to the same primary school, as we've mentioned. In fact, you were in the same class as my husband. And I don't know if you remember this, but every year the Parent Teachers Association would put on these big fundraiser for the school, which was a sort of musical show in a real theatre with a proper choreographer and a proper director and all that. And the one thing that I always dreamed of was being in this show. And at 11 years old, I finally got the chance and I stood on the front of the stage. I had a little solo and in my head, I was Doris Schwartz in fame. Wow. Slightly embarrassing, but that is a true, a true story. Wow. So, uh, little fangirling moment going on there. So, in a way, we are all connected through my school experience. But yeah. if you think of the concept of six degrees of can't eat bacon, other than the four of us here, who is your most interesting or unusual personal Jewish connection? Boyd, would you like to tell us yours? Sure. Well, I don't actually know whether I'm, I'm related to this person or not, but I'm going to assume I am. Basically, my name is Beth Hilton. Of course, that's an Anglicized name that my dad came up with when his family, his parents effectively moved to England. And the real family, our real family name is Horowitz, mm -hmm. our Jewish family name, which is, of course, the name of uh, Adam Horowitz from the Beastie Boys, better known as Ad Rock. And <laughs> I feel like definitely related to Adam Horowitz just because he's the, one of the coolest Jewish people in history. And I did actually meet him once in New York years ago, um, kind of at the height of the Beastie Boys' success and fame. And I met him in, in, in a store in New York, a skate store that, that I love. And I thought, what are the chances, you know, I'm, of ever seeing Ad Rock, Adam Horowitz ever again? I'll, I'll, I'll tell him that I'm, that I'm called Horowitz. And he was brilliantly interested in this point. And I said, you yeah, know, so maybe related. He said, I bet we are. You know, he didn't really know what his, at that point, his, which bit of Eastern Europe his parents came from originally. But he was definitely his dad, who was a Horowitz. Who actually, his dad was called Israel Horowitz, who was a famous writer, um, an academic. His whole, their whole family is fascinating, Horowitz. Is, but he engaged me in this discussion about whether we're related. So I'm taking that as being that we are related. I think that's brilliant. Actually, it's, it's a different spelling, but our a guest on a, the show was Anthony Horowitz, mm. not Anthony Horowitz. It is a different spelling. I've, they were all I've, Horowitz back in the day. But yeah. so may, maybe there's more connections. That's brilliant. Well, I love it. Yeah, I think I told I think I told him that story as well because um, we've met many times. Yeah, the Horowitz Horowitz crossover has happened. So Valerie, how about you? Other than child me pretending to be you. What's your most interesting personal Jewish connection? I came over to my dad's house one morning. This is, I was probably in my 40s. And he said, you should see this. And he shows me the front of the newspaper with the prime minister of Lithuania. And he looks exactly like my dad. So my dad's dad, my grandpa had two sisters. His dad was in one of those families where there were a couple of boys and a couple of girls, but you gave your boys away to other families.
families that only had girls, so they wouldn't take your son for the pogroms. But I'm telling you, there's a lineage there. When you see a picture of my father and you see this guy, they look exactly the same. That was wild. And then my funny one is that when my dad was in the army, he went to Germany and he was in radio. And was another guy, Bill, and I can't remember Bill's last name, but the other guy, all three of them were together, was Nick Clooney, George Clooney's dad. So then years later, I'm 14 years old and we're living on Roxbury Drive and two houses up from me on Roxbury Drive are the Ferrers. And that's Rosemary Clooney, Nick's sister, married to Jose Ferrer. And my buddy is Raphael Ferrer, who's the youngest and George Clooney is three years younger than me. And so it's really possible that we were going back and forth <laughs> at 13 or 14 years old. And I always say, if I ever work with him or run into him, I say, so I've got these two things I have to tell you. <laughs> if you could come across a photo of childhood you and childhood George Clooney, that would be, be quite cool. It would be great to see it. And boys and I went to the same schools. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. And I'm just here to make up the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You have to keep having children. You have to make up the numbers. When my uncle, who was a rabbi in Mumarinek, he's my great uncle, the, the chaplain at Sing Sing, when my son was born and we named him Brooklyn, we said, well, we want to give him the Hebrew name. And he said, so what is his name? I said, Brooklyn. And he went, hmm, what this? And they went, okay, Baruch. That's what we'll call When we called my oldest son Zachariah, my <laughs> grandma went absolutely mad. She said, no one's going to be able to pronounce it. This is terrible. It's like child abuse, she said. And in fact, people have been able to learn how to pronounce it because it is one word. You're not asking people to learn the whole of Hebrew. Right. But whenever we go to any Jewish places or to Israel or to wherever, people say Zachariah. Is he an old Sephardi man? Those are the only people who have that name. And my son. I love that. Have you not noticed that I call him your son whenever I'm talking to you about him? Because you can't say Zachariah. Yeah. No, I, I can say Zaharia, but I'm always Just nervous I'm going to say it wrong. I'm nervous I'm going to say it wrong. I figure saying your son is fine. Um, I'd love it if you said it wrong. That'd be really funny for me. Well, and if you're Jewish, like I have a Buddhist name and I have a Hebrew name. So it's it's all it's all working really well. What's, What's your, your Buddhist, Buddhist name? name? My Buddhist name is Tashi Wangmo. Wow. What does it mean? Auspicious, powerful lady. And Pema Chodron, who gave me my name, they, they, you, they hand you this thing and they gave me my name. She gave me my name and then she said it. And then I walked away and went, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> so, a lot of pressure. Yeah. And then uh, my Hebrew name is Hannah Levy. That's a nice name. My Hebrew name is terrible because it's Pesach. Um, I know, right? So basically, first of all, Pesach technically means Passover. So right. thank mom and dad for that. But right. also, I was born during Hanukkah. <laughs> I'm not even a Pesach, a Passover baby, but apparently the rabbi decreed that's what my Hebrew name had to be. And my parents just kind of went, okay. So he I'm was having a laugh. At Pesach. No one's having a laugh at Pesach. <laughs> it was Hanukkah. It's a jolly time. It should have been Purim. Anyway, never mind. Wait, do you have any other names? Not that I know of, no. Because I've got a weird first name anyway. My... It's not a weird name in Essex. There are a lot of boys. There are not. What are you talking about? In Essex, there are no yeah. boys. No, I knew other boys. Did you? That's incredible. But they gave me a boring middle name, Jonathan, so that um, in case I wanted to resort to that rather than my weird first name. Have you ever I think been I was, no, no, I, I'm very. I, I like my name, yeah. But I, remember, I think I was cast as Boaz in a in an Ilford Jewish school play. You were talking about the, the the musicals we used to do, yeah. And I think they cast me as Boaz because my because his name is a bit similar to Boyd. Um, I think that's the only reason they cast me. Yeah. And I wanted to quickly mention because you remind me. This is sorry, this is totally off piece, but one of my the funniest 
moments in the history of your for Jewish primary school, because you talk about the musicals, was, you know, we staged a musical tribute to the Raid on Entebbe. Do you remember the Raid on Entebbe in the 70s? I remember it, yeah. and I remember the song in it. Yeah, right. Victory <laughs> Entebbe. And I told David Badil this, because I'm quite, you've had Ivor on, but I'm quite good friends with David. I told David, and he loved it so much, and he was like, he didn't believe it. I was like, but honestly, we had Victory Entebbe was the song, and we were like to sing it, the celebration of the Israeli raid on the, the Ugandan hijacked plane, which there were two films made of it, of course, as well. Victory at Tebby and Raid on and Tebby. But the, the musical version the musical, I mean, yeah, we, it was invented still for Jewish primary school. Yeah. The two things that people, I find, never believe about our school was that it was open plan. It yeah. just seems so insane. The classrooms didn't have doors, so you could hear everything from everywhere and anyone walking by. It sort of was uh, arranged around a big hall where we'd have assembly and all the different things um, and then all the classrooms around it and you could just hear the noise from everywhere and Ilford kids not quiet and the other thing is that one of our teachers collected interesting reptilian pets and there were snakes and lizards and locusts and scorpions all kinds of stuff in tanks outside the music room the music room was right in the center of the sort of square of the building it had no natural daylight it was nice and warm and the insects and the snakes and the lizards and everything were always escaping and finding their way into the music room and it was just a normal thing to come home from school and say how's your day fine and the snake came in during music we had to go out for a bit we came back it was quite a strange place yeah maybe you should do a special episode if you'd like to do it for Jewish primary school I'd like the idea that on the day that all the baby snakes go missing that's Vienna day in the canteen <laughs> <laughs> yeah while they're singing victory and Tebby yeah. <laughs> when my parents were alive and there was like a lot more older family we used to do the whole thing of like who could come up with the most lesser known Jewish holidays <laughs> you know amazing everybody knows Hanukkah everybody knows Rosh Hashanah but do you know Lag Baumer? Do you know Kiddushvat? And growing up, as I found, everyone knows Pesach. Well, we spoke a bit earlier about how awful the world is at the moment with everything that's going on. We may well be coming to a situation where the zombies completely take over. Uh, if it came down to Jews versus zombies, we want to know what you guys could bring to the table. Valerie, what could you do in a zombie apocalypse? I would follow my mother's instructions. When the zombies came, you would say that it was time for all of them to begin studying the Torah for their bar mitzvah, and you'd never see them again. <laughs> That is a fail-safe, I think, for a lot of people. That's like the old Jewish joke about is that the grandfather who gave his grandson a siddur, and inside the siddur was a cheque for £100 because he knew it would never be opened. It's funny you say that, actually. My youngest never looks at WhatsApp messages, so sometimes my husband sends him a message saying, if you reply to this by midnight, I'm going to give you a £5 note. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. And Boyd, how about you? What what could you bring to the table in a zombie apocalypse? All I could think of was a Woody Allen quote from Manhattan when um, they're talking about invasion of the Nazis, like invasion of the Nazi zombies, and someone says, well, there's a devastating satirical piece in the op-ed page of the Times about that, and Woody Allen's character says, well, a satirical piece in the Times is one thing, but bricks and bricks and baseball bats really gets right to the point, and I definitely agree with uh, Woody Allen. <laughs> I did a play with him, and... Oh, wow. um, doesn't start his memories when he goes my mother did something she was too busy she couldn't do that oh she couldn't go to therapy or something like that she was too busy putting the chicken through the deflavorizing machine so we've been 
talking a lot about Jewishness, but we'd love to hear if there's any way that being Jewish has either infected or influenced your work at all. Boyd, how has being Jewish really impacted on who you are today? Well, following on from, from the Woody Allen mentioned there, from a very young age, I, I became obsessed with Jewish comedy. I think my parents took me to see Sleeper, the Woody Allen film, when, when it came out theatrically in 1973, I think, when I must have been six or seven years old. Um, and Sleeper's quite an entertaining film for a six or seven year old because there's like giant bananas and strawberries in it and stuff. So I, I loved Woody Allen from a very young age and still do. Then I got into Jewish comedy in general and people like Jerry Seinfeld, Larry David, David Padil. I mean, David Padil's brand of comedy I've always found, I think he's, he's, he's hilariously funny. He's one of the funniest people I've met and I've met him many times. Professionally, I've been able to follow that interest in Jewish comedians. So I interviewed Jerry Seinfeld, one of the great moments of my life. I got friendly with Bob Whitey, who directed the film about Woody Allen a few years ago that was like his four-hour dissection of Woody Allen's life and career and I hosted a Q&A a screening of that and um, got to know him really well and he also worked on Kirby Enthusiasm with Larry David so he got lots of stories about Larry I've never met Larry I really want to meet Larry and I even met Woody Allen at the at Cannes Film Festival years mm -hmm. ago when I was covering it for Richard and Judy uh, legends here in this country and so just that just professionally being able to immerse myself in the world of Jewish comedians and meet them some of them meet my heroes my dream my kind of thing that i never got around to doing is to write a book about jewish comedy and there are, there are loads of books about jewish comedy but i think that there's a better one to be written and when i've got time hopefully i'll do that brilliant what you need is a period of time where there's nothing really happening where you can yeah. just be at home because offices are shut yeah. just you and your laptop yeah, yeah. I'm, you're right unfortunately i have to work every day on heat magazine so <laughs> but when i retire maybe mm. boy do you think there's a jewish flavor to your own writing because i read heat magazine for years and years and one of the things i liked about it was it was always quite chatty it felt like there were insider jokes like if, if you're a regular reader there are certain kind of turns of phrase and whatever but do you think that your writing is influenced by your kind of jewishness and what you've been exposed to oh 100 yeah i think my whole persona has been shaped by um those jewish comedians really that i mentioned particularly i mean particularly woody allen i have to say is the first one that i really paid any attention to and I, people of my generation jewish guys i guess and maybe women as well but my generation i think it's influenced a huge number of so i think yeah my, my writing style, as you say, is quite chatty and informal and kind of self-deprecating and whatever, you know, it, yeah, there's a kind, it's difficult to put in the book, I'll put my, try and put my finger on it, but it, there is something about that, yeah, that my whole, the whole way I express myself that is, is steeped in that, I think, definitely. When I first started in comedy, I didn't talk about Jewish stuff because it wasn't that exciting to me, and then it was pointed out repeatedly, there's such a Jewish flavour to everything about my mannerisms, the way I talk, so it doesn't really matter what the subject is, it's completely, right. it's osmosis and you're, you're immersed in it, so that was very interesting and Valerie how about you how's being Jewish impacted on your work life do you think I mean, I think so much so. My grandma Fanny was very funny. You know what you have to imagine for my grandma Fanny? Imagine the nurse in Romeo and Juliet, Jewish and like in 1968, right? Mm. That's my grandmother. Like my grandmother said, you know that the, the great scene in Romeo and Juliet where she laughs so hard, the nurse laughs so hard about, you know, fall on their backs, that whole thing. Well, I guess my grandmother would put, we would put on music and I would dance with my grandmother and I was like seven or six. And when my grandmother and I started dancing to a record, 
forward, I apparently said, Grandma, shake your ass. And my mom would tell that story like, like that. She'd go, shake your ass. She said, shake your ass. You know, it was that kind of thing. And she had that sense of humor and her, her timing was unbelievable. I mean, she had this crazy guy who lived in her apartment building. This is after my grandfather died. And they get those throwaway papers, you know, and he came up and he was like, I noticed that you're taking away the papers from downstairs and bringing them up. Would you bring me one? And she said, well, no, I just bring them up for my two friends and me. And he said, well, then if you keep doing that, I'm going to tell the people who give that paper that you are stealing all the papers. And she looked at him and she said, and when you call them, tell them that the ones I don't eat, I sell. <laughs> That's a primary thing for me. People in my family were funny. My family really, really funny. And although my first husband was not Jewish, my second act relationship is Jewish and he's very funny. And obviously it's about the language. I grew up hearing Yiddish all the time. So that rhythm, and I think it's just inherent to the rhythm. And I know that as an improviser, training improvisers, there's an exercise where you have to answer, you can only answer a question with a question. And Jews are brilliant at this because it's like, how are you? How should I be? What do I look like? <laughs> the other thing that was really important in fame was that, you know, I was the Jew in fame, but also Bill Blinn wrote for that. You know, we had a couple of really kind of important episodes with those threads because also my family was like the Jewish family. It was Madeline Rue and Jerry O'Laughlin and we were all, and Bruno Kirby, and we were all playing that family. And my grandmother was Nancy Walker. And so it was like this Jewish family. And I remember we did this whole episode that was in and around the stuff. Obviously, we played in Israel, and that was huge. And and then I'll just leave you with this. This was like a great thing. So my friend Ray DeMattis was in one of the original productions of Fiddler on the Roof with Zero Mostel. And Mostel came to him and said, and this is like where I think we have it in our bodies. He came to him and he said, you know, you're not getting a laugh in that one place in the, in the scene. Just trust me. Don't say your line until I give you a nod on stage. And so they got to that part of the scene, and Ray's kind of watching him out of the corner of his eye. Zero could also play tricks on you. He waits and he waits and Zero does nothing. Oh, he is just hanging me out to dry. And then all of a sudden Zero just kind of nodded his head like this. Ray said his line, huge laugh because that timing is so critical. I think there's an inherent genetic warmth, pathos, and pathos is at the core of comedy. Comedy is tragedy with time. Can I just say how excited I am that you mentioned Nancy Walker, because oh, you just reminded me that growing up, Rhoda, I mean, Rhoda was my big, another big Jewish comedy obsession. Yeah, you know, again, I, yeah, what Rhoda was on, I used to, oh. absolutely obsessed with it, and still, I've still got the DVDs to watch, and she was just legendary, wasn't she? She is like this mm -hmm. absolutely iconic Jewish mother figure in that show. Uh, yeah. And that so. show was all about the timing as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh. And now I'm really thinking about how Philip is younger than me. Do you have any idea what we're talking about? I absolutely know what it is to be younger than you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fewer aches and pains. And... Well, that's nearly all we've got time for, but how are people going to know what you're up to if you never call, you never write? So this is your chance to tell our lovely audience where they can find you. Now, normally we'd allocate 20 seconds for this, but for you, 30. Boyd, how can people find out what you're up to? There's my Twitter handle, at Boyd Hilton, which is my name, and I'm on Instagram. And of course, the Pilot TV podcast, which is every week, comes out every Monday, um, covering the best TV out there. Footballistically, Arsenal is my Arsenal podcast during the season, which will be on, probably on by now, because the season will start, I think, by the time this goes out. That's every week as well. And uh, and I'm in Heat Magazine, if you if you fancy buying that um, £1.80, I think, from your local newsagent. Excellent. And Valerie? After directing a couple of films, I direct 
directed one that was really a passion project that we worked on it for 10 years to get it made. And it's called Love and Debt. And it's mm-hmm. with Kavanaugh and Bellamy Young and Yardley Smith and Ed Marinero and Casey Abrams and Bailey Madison. It's really great. Right now, it's on Prime in the U.S. And probably as all of this begins to unlace with COVID, our UK deal would get made. And there are clips for it on YouTube, Love and Debt. And then start plugging your cable, people. We want to see this movie. We want to see this movie. You're really lucky. It's great. It's a comedy and uh, about the drama of life. Well, I have absolutely loved this and will now always think of Boyd as the Jew who upset Greek Orthodox Jew George Michael and Valerie as the Jew who will stand up for herself, but she'll do it dressed as an astronaut wearing a bin liner. (laughs) As my grandfather used to say, I love seeing your smiling faces arrive and I love seeing your little tuchuses leave. We've come to the end of the show and all we have time for now is to thank our brilliant guests, Boyd Hilton and Valerie Landsberg. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at JewTalking without the G. Don't forget to share, subscribe and review our show and join us next time on Jew Talking To Me. Jew Talking To Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Balkin. When you did Victory at Entebbe, yeah. who played Edi Amin? Oh, we didn't, I don't think Edi Amin was featured, yeah, in, okay. as, as a character. We, we, they worked around him. I remember having a picture of him there, like on stage somewhere, to remind you. Thank you.